Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Uh, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. These are a shadow of things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Um, This is the NIV version in the King James. I like how the King James says it. It says, these are a shadow of the things um, to come, the body of which is found in Christ. So uh, I, I like the, the visualization because actually that's more, that's more true to the original language, that the body is Christ, but his shadow um, are many of these things. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. So, um, man, this is, this is a perfect Austin sermon right here. Uh, don't let anyone judge you. Uh, I, I, this is this is perfect. We could we could we could we could go to the nations with this one. Uh, don't let anyone judge you. Uh, now he doesn't say though. Don't let anyone judge you. Period. Uh, he says with regard to certain things. So there are some things actually that's helpful to have somebody critiquing you. There's some there's sometimes it's helpful to have someone um, giving you the truth in love uh, to help steer you in the right direction. So Paul doesn't say don't ever let anyone bring any bad news your way or bad vibes. Uh, don't don't ever let anyone say anything that you don't agree with. Uh, he doesn't say you know unfollow everybody that 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 is not of your political persuasion. Uh, he says don't let anyone judge you in regard to, and he has a list of things that we are not to allow people to judge us in. And so just as I was reading this, I was like, man, this seems like a pretty impossible command. Don't let anyone judge you. I have people judging me right now. (laughs) Too late. How do do you go around and stop people from being judgmental? This 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 seems weird to me. This is a weird command. Now, when he said, beware of the traps, I get it. I can watch out for traps. I can avoid... Hopefully, with the grace of God and, and, and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, I can avoid some traps, but I can't stop other people from judging me. I, I, I don't know. They, there's some weird people out there. There's some, there's some oddballs out there, and they, they, just, they just get all kinds of ideas about, about me and about people, and they, and they just come to conclusions just randomly. And I, I, the amount of ways in which people can be ignorant, I just don't have... I don't have the bandwidth to be able to deal with that. And so it's interesting because Paul says, don't let anyone judge you. And and I'm thinking, well, how in the world can you stop people from judging you? Well, I think one way that you can stop people from judging you is 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 to not hang out with judgmental people. This is, this is a starter. This is, this is a good starter because, because you, you have to remember Paul's writing this letter to a church in Colosh, and the main reason is that they were starting to believe false doctrines called Gnosticism. And Paul knows that false doctrine doesn't come in the front door. 
false doctrine doesn't grab a microphone and stand up on the stage and say, I know you, I know you believe in Jesus, but let me present something different to you. This is not the way that heresy or false doctrine infiltrates the church. By the way, this is not the way that any of us actually, this isn't the way that God works either. When, when God wanted to get his message across, he didn't send a billboard. He didn't shoot everybody an email. He sent his son, and his son walked with and lived with and, 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 and was around people. And that, that, has, that has a tendency to rub off on others. Relationship is catchy. Uh, community is creative, which is, which is why I, I spent so much time talking about the, the community that's happening here at City Chapel called small groups because I know that if you can be in a set of relationships, even if you're just dealing with finances, but if you can be among godly people, that that godly community will have a creative effect on you for the better, for the good. Some, I mean, if you're dealing with depression, if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're tired of feeling sad all the time, try hanging around happy people. They'll annoy you at first, but then after a while, their perspective on life will become your perspective. The people, I mean, what, I mean what's, what's the old saying that uh, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because the people that you are around, they have a tendency to set for you the projection of your journey. And so Paul knows this, and he knows that the false teachers in Colossians, they didn't come in with, 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 you know, like the scholarship badge. They didn't come in preaching. They came in building relationships. And as the people in Colossians tolerated, this is, this is what Jesus talks about a lot in the book of Revelation. He says, he says I, have, I have this against you that you have tolerated. There was, there was a particular church, they had tolerated they had tolerated a certain kind of people. Well, well, what do you mean? Well, well, I mean that they allowed these people to come into the community of God, the community of the faith, and they allowed them to, to act out in ways and to continue in, 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 in the spirit that they were in, which wasn't the spirit of God, but they allowed them to continue that within the community. And what happens is that ends up poisoning the culture of the community because the culture of the community is what is so creative. That's what's so catchy. You say, what's culture? Well, culture is that thing you can smell, sort of, but you can't quite put your finger on. Culture is the thing that you walk into a room and you sense tension, and you don't know what was said or what wasn't said. You don't know what should have been said or shouldn't have been, but you just sense it's the tension. It's the thing that you can't quite put your finger on. It's when you're hanging out with a married couple and something just doesn't quite seem right. And then you find out later on that stuff wasn't right. They were playing the part. They were saying the right things. But there's this culture, this scent of, it doesn't smell good. Something doesn't smell. And, and sometimes you can walk into churches. It's kind of like, it smells, it smells a little funky up in here. I don't know. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't smell healthy. It smells like people are going through the motions. It smells like people are, 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 are doing their church thing, but then they're doing all this other stuff on the other side. And so Paul said, man, the problem when you start hanging out with people that smell funny oh, yeah. is that smell starts getting on you. Wow. The, the, the perspective that you allow in your circle will eventually become the perspective that you embody. It'll be the perspective that you adopt. 
The perspective that you allow will be the perspective that you adopt. The attitudes you allow will be the attitudes that you will adopt, which is why it's so dangerous to be around judgmental people because, because you might think, oh, they're just drama and they're just... But when you allow gossip, when you allow judgment, when you allow... See, like, I don't think that the Colossian heretics, we'll call them that, the Gnostics, I don't think they came in saying, all right, you guys are all wrong. Let me, let me present to you the truth. I think they came in as friends and then within conversations, they said, can you believe so-and-so is, 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 is eating pork? heard so-and-so is eating pork. You hear so, oh my goodness, really? No, I've not, I would never eat pork. And what, what happens is, in the, it's, it's, it's not, it's, community is built by conversations, not, not proclamations. Great, great leaders understand that, and they, they just tap into the conversations that are already happening. And they, they proclaim, they, 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 they give a platform to the already secret conversations that are happening because they understand that that's, that's where the power of culture is. And so within these conversations, Paul says, man, you need to stay away from, don't let anyone judge you. Meanwhile, don't let anyone judge anybody based on these things. Don't permit what you allow into your life, what you allow into your circle, what you allow into your newsfeed, what you allow into your home. He said, these are, these are things that are a part of the shadow. And so my message today is real simple. I want to challenge you. I want to call you to step out of the shadows. Step out of the shadows. He says, don't let anyone judge you based on what you eat or drink with regard to religious festival, new moon celebrations, or the Sabbath day. I mean, to me, those are three main categories. But they all, the thing that, that, that is in common with all of these is that these are a shadow. So he said, don't let anyone judge you based on the shadows. And the way that you can avoid that is by not even living in the shadows. And so I want to call you to step out of the shadows. And the first step for that is to avoid or to stay away from shady people. <laughs> Shadowy people. Uh, people that live in the shadows. People that have a perspective based on the shadow. People that have a value system based on a shadow because the value system you permit will be the value system you adopt. It will, it will become your value system. And so Paul says, don't let anyone judge you because the judgment that you submit to will be the judgment that you end up projecting onto others. Don't let anyone judge you based on these shadows. Stay away from shady people. It doesn't mean don't love them. It doesn't mean don't pray for them. It means don't bring them into your friendship circle, into the place of influence, into the place where you're lending your ear to them. Because what will happen is slowly but surely you will adopt their very same judgments and you will then adopt their very same convictions. And it's so hard. It's so hard when your spirit feels something is wrong. When your conscience says something is wrong that God doesn't say is wrong, it's so difficult. To go against that. And so he says you need to avoid shady people. And, and not just shady people, but shady things. Uh, if you really want to experience freedom that God has for you, you're going to have to not just lay down sinful things. You're going to have to lay down shady things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you got sinful things. 
And you know, I'm struggling with that. But then there's this whole gray area of kind of darkish things that we're not really sure what category it falls into. Well, if you want freedom in Christ, you need to let go of the shadows as well as the sin. Lay down the sin as well. That there shouldn't be any area in your life. Scripture says to, to stay away from the very appearance of evil. Now, growing up, my parents quoted that scripture to me with regard to those cigarettes that was really candy, the gum cigarettes, remember that? I wasn't allowed, I forget what they were called, but they were like little cigars or something. They had a little, I thought they would be so cool, but my parents did not allow it because, you know, you stay away from the very appearance of evil. I don't know why a purple cigar in a seven-year-old's mouth looks like evil. It's gum, it's chewing gum, but apparently... Like that's that that was their that was their take on it, and I think there's probably some truth to that. You know, I think there's probably some wisdom to that actually. But the true meaning of stay away from the appearance of evil it means to get out of the shadows in your life. It means to stop doing things that you know could possibly lead to something that's not quite right. If if it's if if you have to delete it. If you have to lie about it, if you have to password protect it, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. You got to stay out of the shadows. The shadow places, man, will trap more of us than the actual blatant sins because it's, it's the shadow place that weakens us in our walk with God. It's the shadowy places that keeps us from, from experiencing the freedom that God has for us. So you got to stay away from, yeah, shady people, but then shady, shady places. And, and this, this is why I feel like these small groups are so helpful because as a church, we're not perfect, but City Chapel is a place that is endeavoring to love the light. We are endeavoring to love the truth, whether it's comfortable or not, whether it makes us feel good or not. We're endeavoring to love the truth, the reflection of God, the light of the Holy Spirit, the flashlight of the Holy Spirit shining in our heart. We don't want any shadowy places in our lives. We're going to be a church, we've been a church, and we're going to continue to be a church that, that loves people but also speaks the truth, that loves ourselves but also speaks the truth, that believes that we have a Father who has good plans for us, to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a future and a hope. And so we're going to be the kind of people that embrace the light of the Holy Spirit because instead of condemnation, it always brings conviction and then joy. This is, by the way, this is what the word judge means, is don't let anyone judge you. That's why I got this little, this little gavel up here, because to judge, to judge is to, the, the word means to condemn. It means to condemn. And you start, you start hanging around shady people, or you start living in shady places, you will have condemnation. It's the lowering of the gavel. Now, now, if you can't take criticism, then, then you have a pride problem. But, 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 but I'm not talking about criticism. I'm talking about condemnation. Condemnation is where somebody has written you off. Somebody has decided that they've lowered, they've made the judgment on you without talking to you, without understanding you. They've just simply made a, a judgment on you. And, and this, is what, this is what shady people will do. This is also what shady places will do. It'll pronounce, the enemy will pronounce a judgment on your life. You say, oh, well, I'm, not, I'm just not reading the Bible enough as much as I should, you know. And instead of that convicting you and causing you to get into the word of God, it, 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 it stymies you and shrinks you and leaves you powerless because you believe that that's who you are and that's who you'll always be. And this is what judgment does for you. So you've got to stay away from shady people in shady places. But, but the other step is that you have to step out of the shadows, 
to, 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 to get out from behind the shadow means you, you, to not be judged in the shadow means you can't live in the shadow. And just to play the devil's advocate for just a minute, um, the, shadows, it's not, the shadows weren't horrible things. Uh, I, I know we think of shadows as dark places, but the shadow that Paul is talking about, Paul says in verse 17, he says, he says that these things, plural, are a shadow singular of the things which were to come, plural, the reality which or the body of which is Christ. So the shadows that they were living in was a shadow of Jesus. And so the, the, the way I like to think about this is that if this stage were like, were like a, a linear timeline and, 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 and over here on your left is like the beginning of time. This is, this is where God made everything. And this is point zero, ground zero, where God made everything. And, and maybe the end of the stage is, is when he wraps it all up, whenever that's going to be, I don't know. But somewhere around the middle of time, Jesus Christ came to this planet and he divided B.C. from A.D. The single most important event, the epicenter of human history, is the birth, uh, life, and death of Jesus. And, and he stood there, and, 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 and we beheld him. We saw him. We saw his glory, John says, full of grace and truth. But, but before him, there were people that still believed in him. Scripture tells us about that. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says that, 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 that all of the heroes of the faith that we know back here, Moses and Abraham and David and Samson, they all died looking forward to something. Something, that something is Jesus. Something better, it says. It says, it says if they would have been comfortable in this country, they would have set up shop here. But instead, this is the hairy version, but instead they were looking for another country, a better country, whose builder and maker is the Lord. That country is Jesus. And so they were living under the shadow. It's like Jesus was here in the middle of human history and God shone the light of revelation on Jesus. And that shadow of Jesus cast all the way back, all the way back to the garden, actually. We see the shadow of Jesus in the garden because after Adam and Eve sinned and after the curses were pronounced over them, the very next thing that happens in Genesis chapter 3 is that God kills an animal. That's right. God, the vegetarian, killed. (laughs) He's the first one to kill life. Just FYI. He's the first one to shed blood. God is the first one. And why? Because of man's sin. Because man's sin, the curse was pronounced on him. So God goes and kills an animal, takes the skin of that animal, and covers the man and the woman because they were naked. What? Well, that's a shadow. That's a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ was going to do. That on the cross, he was going to shed his blood, which would purify our hearts. And then he was going to, his body was going to be torn, which would cover our shame. And so we see the shadow of the cross extending even back to the garden. And, and it, it, that was the tip of the shadow. That was the very beginning. And then God said, hey, um, um, not only uh, is there a curse, but there's also a promise because there will be this, this seed that will come from the woman and he will crush the head of the serpent. And so the shadow of the cross is beginning to come into view, but it's, it's not there yet. And so, you know, we get to Enoch and Enoch has some amazing revelations. He walks with God. He's taken into heaven. 
uh, Noah, his great-great-grandson, uh, does some amazing things as well. And once we realize that Noah is also a shadow, because Noah builds this great boat that saves everybody from judgment, and all you have to do is get into the boat. And the door is open, and it's, and, it's, and it's open for like nearly 100 years. He's building the boat. God leaves the door wide open, and everybody who got into the boat was saved. And the boat is a symbol of Jesus. You see the shadow of the body of Jesus, that all you have to do is come into Jesus, that whoever believes on him will be saved. God so loved the world that he spent all this time building, building this person of Jesus. And he is the safe passageway. And the water is the water of baptism, if you're, if, you're, if you're curious about that. You can find that in, 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 in Peter's writings in the New Testament. It's a symbol. It's a shadow. And, and the most clear element of the shadow came on Mount Sinai when Moses stood face to face with God. And God handed him down commandments for how his people were to live. And all those commandments were shadows of Jesus. The shadow gives you an, an outline. If, you, if, if, if I had an actually powerful light shining on me and we turned off all the other lights, you could see stretching back much further. Actually, I would look like a giant. So shadows always, always accentuate and expand things. But it also gives you an outline of the form of the thing. You see the outline of the form of the thing in Jesus in the past. And so the Gnostics came into the church and they said, guys, God commanded us not to eat bacon. God commanded us not to eat unclean animals. We shouldn't be eating unclean animals. He's very clear about that in, in, in Exodus and Leviticus. I mean, it's really, really clear. He lays out exactly what we should be eating. And Paul says, don't let anyone judge you based on a shadow when you have met the person, Jesus, that it's, it's wonderful to look back on the shadow. It's wonderful to realize that, and for Moses, by the way, to live in the shadow, that was salvation. Because that's all he had. And this, this, this is all God ever expects of us. He expects us to live in the light of the revelation that we have. And so for Moses to live in the shadow, to follow those rules, to only eat the foods that God commanded him to eat, that was him having faith in the source of the shadow because he stuck with the form of the shadow. But now that we have the person, all of our Peter Pan fans ought to understand this. The person and the shadow are two different things. You know what I'm saying? Now that we have the person, it, you, you've met the person. And if you, if you leave the person to go to the shadow, you have left the person. And so Paul says, man, when you, when, you, when you cling to these shadows, you have left the person that the shadow is speaking of. You no longer have faith in the person because you have abandoned the person in favor of the shadow. You've gone backwards. These things were telling people and preparing people for the, the person of Jesus that when we saw him, we would say, oh, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like John saw, said, how did John know that? Well, he'd been studying the shadows. He saw the shadows that God was going to present a lamb that was going to clothe humanity and take away our shame. He saw the shadows. He read the signs. And he knew who Jesus was. And that's, that was the purpose of the shadow. But now that you've met the person, you've got to stick with the person. You've got you to you step out of the shadow and step into a relationship with the person. And there's, there's, some, there's some very specific ways in which Paul deals with this. Number one is 
Don't let anyone judge you in the shadow land of eating and drinking. It seems like he's talking about the dietary regulations that were given uh, to Moses in the law of Moses. Don't let anyone judge you with regard to what you eat or drink. Now, that sounds real simple for us. We're like, well, of course. I mean, I can eat Arby's or I can eat Burger King unless you're in Kristen's class. You can eat all kinds of things, you know. Um, you know, and nobody's judging us for that. And, and I think sometimes when we read this passage, we just kind of go, oh, well, all right, nobody's judging me in what I eat or drink. Nobody's gar- judging me with regard to a religious festival. Nobody's judging me with regard to a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day, so I'm pretty good. And the, 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 the trick with reading a nearly 2,000-year-old book is that you have to understand that, well, one, the devil hasn't invented any new tricks. He just recycles old ones. He just repackages them. And so you have to dig a little bit below the specifics to the principles that are, up, that are undergirding the specifics. The principle is, if it's a shadow of Jesus, then, then it is not where we ought to be living. And, and, and Paul, though, he does deal with some specific ones. He says, with regard to eating and drinking. This is a specific shadow that, that is listed in the Old Testament when God laid out this idea of clean animals and unclean animals. By clean, we mean holy. Holy animals and unholy animals. Righteous animals and unrighteous animals. Now, of course, we know that animal, all animals are unrighteous. They are all from the devil, just evil no, just kidding. Except puppies. Puppies are puppies and kittens. Is that okay? I got, got, I, I got some of you back. Horses, babe, maybe. I don't know. Um, no, I mean, animals are neither evil nor righteous. They, they don't, they're, not more, they're, they're, they're not moral beings. They don't have the same capacity that you and I have. So they just act out of nature. They just do whatever they... So, so animals aren't necessarily good or bad, but yet God laid out for us animals which he said were bad, and animals which he said were good. And that seems kind of odd. Well, it's foreshadowing of Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus because, in, because ever since the fall, there has been a knowledge of good and evil. Right, Poppy? There's that, there's that tree. There's that tree. It's got the knowledge of good and evil, and that's been our context. And so God's speaking to us in the middle of our human condition and in our context, and he says, let me tell you how these two things play out, how this good and evil play out. And, and, and it's especially found in Exodus chapter 13, verse 13, where God is, is giving instructions with regard to the firstborn of every animal. He says, he says that whenever you have a firstborn um, donkey, which is, which is a, definitely an unclean animal, and if you know any donkeys, you know that they're unclean, nasty animals, stubborn, stubborn things, really loud. Um, if, you, if you have a donkey, that, that, that donkey can't just be born and come into your community. Uh, it just isn't going to happen because he's unclean. This donkey must be redeemed, he says, with a lamb. You must redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, you have to break its neck. Whatever's not redeemed gets killed. The unclean animal has to be, this is like, this is not just, not the only unclean animal, of course, pigs were unclean, there were several unclean things, but the donkey is like the, the, the quintessential unclean animal. And he says, man, if you have a firstborn donkey, this applies to all unclean animals, but especially donkeys, that thing 
If he's not redeemed, he has to, you have to break his neck. Well, how do you redeem it? You redeem it by sacrificing a lamb, which is the quintessential clean animal. And so even in the shadow, you have the clean being killed on behalf of the unclean. You have the clean giving his life for the life of the unclean. You have, you have the clean sanctifying or justifying or purifying or, or making righteous the unclean. So that even in the shadow, God says there are clean and there are unclean, but these things are, 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 are not set in stone. These things are not forever. The unclean are not unclean forever. The unclean can be redeemed by the blood of the clean. And so we see Jesus redeeming all of us unclean people who got unclean because of our bad choices, because of our sin, because of our, because of our rebellion against God. We, we, we got ourselves all dirty. And, and then the clean Lamb of God who never sinned, never committed any sin, he gave his life so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be brought back into a state of cleanness before God. We don't have to die the death of an unclean animal. We can be redeemed. And so the shadow, the shadow is, is lovely, but when you hold on to the shadow, this is, this is, this, this is my challenge to you. I'm, I know many of you are good with pork and you're fine with eating regulations, but the truth is, if you've been around church very long, you might have learned to call unclean what God has called clean. Because that was the key behind this whole deal. Remember Peter? Peter in the book of Acts, he's up on the roof. He has a vision. God brings down. Peter never eaten anything that was unclean. God brings down a blanket with all this unclean stuff. And he says, all right, get up, Peter, and start eating. Get get some pork. It's going to be good. And Peter, notice Peter's response. Peter says, far be it from me. I have never. That is the spirit of the shadow. We get that outline and we say, I have never gone there. He didn't say, he didn't say this is wrong. He just said, I've never gone there. It's amazing how proud we become of our track record when we live in the shadow, the outline of what is right and what is not right. I've never been on that side of the track. I've never been in that kind of relationship. I've never done that kind of, I never smoked that. I've never hung out with that person. And so it's interesting to me. I've never gone down that street. I've never been in that state. I've ne- and, and, and Peter said, I've never done that. And God says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't call unclean what I have called clean. And if you're not careful, even after you meet the person of Jesus who sanctifies you and purifies, Scripture says you become, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you become a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things become new. And if you're not careful, you'll look at this new creation and say, this new creation is still unclean. I'm just a sinner. I'll never get any better. There's no way I can ever. And you call unclean what God has called clean. God, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are called a son of the most high God. You are a joint heir with Jesus. You say, well, I just don't read my Bible enough. Where in scripture does it say how often you ought to read your Bible? Why is it that we hold on to a shadow of studying something that was supposed to be lived? The question is not, have you read this today? The question is, have you, have you lived this book? If you just live what you knew, I'm convinced, I'm, I'm convinced most of us could stop reading today and just start living. 
And we have enough revelation stored up inside of us that we have not acted on and we have not lived out. That honestly, man, I mean, how much more do you need to study the outline of the shadow before you just step into it? You got to live this thing. You got to do this thing. And, 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 I, and, and I know there's all kinds of ways that the enemy would love to condemn you for not being the great Christian that you think you ought to be. But man, scripture says, the Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So I got some good news for you. You're going to get better. You're going to get better than you are right now. Not because you are so determined, but because he is determined to perfect you and sanctify you and cleanse you. No matter what you've done, you might have made, you might have gone so far as to, you know, like Beyonce, sold your soul to the devil. According to YouTube, YouTube said Beyonce did that. I don't know if she did or not, but you might have sold your soul to the devil and you might say, well, it's, it's, it's done for me. Man, like the devil might have written you a check for your soul, but he does not have the funds in the bank to back up that claim. Do you know the cost of your soul? Do you know how much it, the very blood of God had to be shed for your soul? Satan can't touch that. The blood of Jesus comes against every false accusation that he brings against you. And it speaks a better word for you. It speaks a better word for me. But shadows don't speak. Shadows don't talk. That's why you got to meet the person of Jesus. You've got to know the person of Jesus. He speaks. He tells you your identity. He tells you who you are. It's the person of Jesus. Shadows don't talk. Shadows are silent. All you know is the boundary line that you get to live inside of. But shadows don't talk. But the, the person of Jesus will tell you who you are and where you came from and where you're going. It's the person of Jesus. Don't call unclean what God's called clean. I mean, I, I, I could go, gosh, I could, I could probably spend a sermon series, actually, just like we did the traps. Because each one of these things are so applicable to us. Like, we don't think food and drink is applicable until we start realizing that it's not about food and drink. It's about, it's about loading up expectations on people that God hasn't loaded up. And it's about, because you can, you can keep those expectations and not know the person of Jesus. You can... Read your Bible, pray every day, and not grow, grow, grow. I've seen it. Uh, you live in the church long enough, you know people. They can spit out so many verses. They can just rattle off. This verse is for healing, and that verse is for sanctification. And, that verse, and, and we, we've got, we got the theology of John Wesley, but we don't have the fire that was inside the belly of John Wesley. We're not ready to go horseback across several miles and bring the message. As soon as stuff gets tough, we quit. And we got the words, but we don't have the power. And Paul, Paul is saying, man, look, it's good. It's good to hold on to see the law of Moses. But if you don't have the God of Moses, the law of Moses isn't going to help you. Moses communicated with God face to face as a man communicates with his friend. You're holding on to the thing he came away from that experience with when you could have that experience. And that experience would change you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going for lawlessness. I'm not, I'm not going for, hey, throwing out all the restraint and just be whatever. No, that's crazy. 
But legalism is so dangerous because it gives you the form of life without the function of life. You got the shadow, you got the outline, but you haven't breathed in years. You got the, it's this, this, this outline, it's going strong. That's what I heard uh, preacher John Piper uh, talking about legalism. He said, man, our, our church, they're a much bigger church than us, but he said our church could keep going for decades if we just have enough tithes and offerings and if we have enough legalism to make sure everybody looks like they have a relationship with Jesus. And it's so many times that's what religion is. It's an attempt to make sure everybody looks like they have a relationship with Jesus. It comes out of good stuff. People live in shadows for good reasons because they remember a time when they were alive in God. And they remember the way they dressed in that time. And they remember the way that they lived in that time. And they remember the way that the services felt at that time. And they remember the way their prayer times felt during that time. And so they, so, so they, so they, so they muster up as much courage as they can to do the stuff. It's like, it's like married couples that have lost connection. They, they, they say, well, we need, to, we need to start having date nights again because that's what we were doing before. But before, you didn't have to be forced to go on a date. And the difference is the heart. And so you can go through the actions, but if your heart isn't in it, then it's, you, don't, you don't have the same thing. It helps, helps, helps for the, the looks. It helps the optics of it. But it, it doesn't change the, the reality of your heart. And Paul says, man, you've got to stay out of the shadows with regard to, to eating and drinking. But you also need to stay out of the shadows with regard to Sabbath days. There's a couple other things in there. But I want to look at Sabbath days. Because here at City Chapel, we believe in going to church. We do. And, uh, and I'm thankful that you're all here. It would be awkward without you. Um. And it's good. Uh, Sabbath day mean, Sabbath means rest. This is what God instituted in the book of Exodus. He said, man, six days. He gave his own experience as the sort of the, 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 the layout for the thing. He said, six days the Lord worked, and on the seventh day he rested. And so he said, every seventh day I want you to take a rest. And that rest was to be used in connecting with your family. That rest was to be used in connecting with God. The rest was to be used in connecting with other believers. And so here at City Chapel, we, we call Sunday, that's our day of rest. Not for me, Just FYI, uh, but for you all. I'm working today. Um, but, 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 you know, for you all, my Sabbath day is Friday. So that's where I hang out with my family. And, that, and that's actually like on our vacation, at the end of vacation, I asked Madden, I said, what's your favorite part about our vacation? And she said, well, I got to hang out with you every day. Aw, thought that was so sweet. It was like family fun day every day. She's my quality time girl, so she, she really appreciates that. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you have a, you, six days you work, and the seventh day you rest. And God instituted this actually on several levels. And there was the year of Jubilee, which was the seventh year. Uh, the seventh year, there wasn't to be any work done on the crops. All of the slaves were to be released. They weren't to work during that year either. Uh, they, so it's interesting how he layered it. If you want to get really deep into it, in the seventh month of the year, he instituted the Day of Atonement on the tenth day of the seventh month, which is the Day of Atonement, where the, where the sins would be released. 
There was also a releasing of sin. So Sabbath is not just about um, stopping what you're doing. Sabbath is about resting both in your body and in your soul. So that's why we come to church to connect with God so that our soul can be at rest. But what happened is Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross. He rose again. And um, most of us celebrate Sabbath kind of on uh, Sunday because we believe that's when Jesus rose from the dead, whereas the Jews would celebrate it on Saturday because that's the seventh day um, of the week. But anyway, you can, you can kind of get into that. Also, I think the, the Roman government had something to do with Sunday as well because they worship sun gods, and so Constantine sort of set that up. But anyway, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of paganism thrown into Christian tradition also. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, but for us, it's still biblical to take one day out of seven, whether it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever the day is, and to focus on God, focus with each other, and connect with, the, with, with our family. And this is, this is a biblical thing. It's, 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 it's good. If you're going 24-7, seven days a week, man, it's not healthy. Uh, Kristen will be able to tell you that in her class. Uh, it's just, it's not, it's not healthy. It's not good for your heart. It's not good for your stress levels. It's also not good for your productivity. I, I heard somebody say one time that if you hit, if you hit pause on a, on a DVD player... Uh, the movie stops, but if you hit pause on a human being, the creativity starts. And so there's something about pausing. There's something about stopping. This is why a lot of times in worship, we actually sort of just pause. I know some of you kind of wonder, it's like, well, they're not playing anything. Are we, what, are we, what are we doing? We're pausing. We're creating space because God works in space. God moves in, in space. He doesn't move so well in programs and procedures and boxes and stuff. He works in space. That's why you got to give him space in your life. That's why on Monday you got to give him, even if it's just five minutes, space in the morning. While you're driving to work, you got you to give him space because he moves in space. He moves in free time. He moves. I know I just came off of vacation. So anyway, it's, it's good. It's good to take some time off. Even if you can't go to Maine, if you can just, you know, Go to Waco, like, you know, this, just take, just take some, some time because God moves, creativity starts flowing, you're able to hear from God in space. And so Sabbath is, is a wonderful thing, but here's the difference. We don't keep the Sabbath. We celebrate the Sabbath. We don't keep the Sabbath. Now, for these guys, keeping the Sabbath meant that you had to. You had to rest. Not only did you have to rest, but there were particular rules around that rest. If you go to Jerusalem right now, um, uh, on the Sabbath, uh, the, the elevators, they have, they have special functions. So you can't push the regular buttons in an elevator on the Sabbath because when you push the button, it, it creates electricity. It creates this thing, which they think is work. So they say, well, that's kind of like working because a lot of us use our computers and stuff for work. And so we can't push electrical buttons because that creates work. And so there's this other way to operate the elevators in hotels in Jerusalem because they're, they're, they're very concerned about that shadow. that We don't go out of that. And there's this, this nifty little passage Jesus actually dealt with this head on in Matthew chapter 12. At that time, it says in verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Not supposed to do that. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. That's a lot like work to a farming agricultural community. 
And so the Pharisees saw this and said, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, now, now before we are too judgmental on them, Jesus is clearly crossing out of the shadow here. Stuff they had held on to. This is gospel. God commanded us not to work on the Sabbath. And now around that commandment, they had built all these other commandments of which they said you can't pick any grain. So the picking of the grain wasn't God's commandment. They had added that to make sure they stayed in the shadow. They're just trying to be extra holy. You all don't know anything about that. Verse 5 says, uh, or Jesus Jesus answers them. So this is verse 2. Jesus gives them one answer, which is dealing with, with David um, when he went into the temple. But then in verse 5, the one that I, I want to focus on, he says, he says, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? What do you mean? Well, this was, this was something that they had, they had dealt with because God commanded no work to be done on the Sabbath and yet the preacher is working on the Sabbath. Oh, yeah, all the priests, man, they're, they're, they're in the kitchen. <laughs> they're, they're taking lambs and goats and cutting them up. They're offering them as sacrifices. Their busiest day of the week was the Sabbath. They're working. And, 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 the, and, and the Jews realize this. They're like, let's see, God said not to work, but he also commanded the priests to do all this stuff on the Sabbath. And so it's like, what can we do? And so they had developed a law, which Jesus is referencing. Okay, they called him on one of their own laws. And so Jesus references one of their own laws. And the law that they had decided, that they had written, I, th I, th I think it's in the Talmud. They said that whatever happens within the temple is sanctified by the temple. That whatever happens within the temple is sanctified by the temple. So that God said, you can't work. And that's true outside of the temple. But when you're in the holy place, it's interesting. Even man's laws can be a shadow for what God was about to do. And Jesus said, you have, you have a law, don't you? That whatever happens in the temple is sanctified by the temple. Jesus said it another way in another place. He said the altar sanctifies the gift, right? And, and, and so he says, man, you, like, like, you have this law. And then in verse 6, he says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is right here. <laughs> in another place, he said, I'll tear down this temple and I'll build it again in three days. He was talking about his body. The temple was a shadow of the body of Christ. And Jesus said, you don't understand. These guys are in the temple. They're in the temple, and you can work when you're in the temple. This is, this, this, this is something that I wish, I wish people could understand because, because we, have a, we have an association with Sabbath with, with completely taking time off. Our only version of Sabbath is basically going to Maine, eating a bunch of lobster. That's it, and it's a lovely version, I, I, I'll, I'll admit. <laughs> 72 degrees, it's a, good, it's a good time. But if that's your only version, of Sabbath, you get, burnt, you get burned out the rest of the year. If you don't understand that the, all, that the temple sanctifies what happens within the temple, that, that, that to rest in God doesn't mean you take your foot off the gas pedal and let go of the steering wheel. You're not all in or all out. 
when it comes to, to working, you can work and rest. You can, you can do amazing things and rest. The book of Hebrews lays this out pretty clearly. It says, that, it says that God, who has ceased from his labors, has now entered into rest. He's talking about the seventh day. And this is something, actually, in our, in our vacation, I asked Ro a little trivia question, biblical Bible trivia. I said, I said you know, you, you have the days of creation. And day one, uh, evening and morning was the second day, and evening and morning was the third day, evening and morning was the fourth day. When did the seventh day end? She said, I don't know. I said, because that's a trick question. It didn't. There's no evening and morning on the seventh day. And the writer of Hebrews says that there is, there remains a rest for the people of God. And God swore in his wrath for the, the, the guys who were in rebellion in the wilderness, they will not enter my rest. So there remains a Sabbath that is a person. It's not a time. It's not a day. So we take a day because it's good for our bodies. But if you really want your soul to grow, if you really want your soul to be nurtured, you might want to enter into a relationship with that Sabbath. Because when you enter into a relationship with that Sabbath, your soul can rest seven days a week. You can be working your tail off on the job, sweating in this heat. You can be, you can be dealing with all kinds of things. But that, that labor... When you are in the temple, is a labor for the glory of God. I'm sweating my butt off out here for the glory of God. Because I'm in the temple. I never got out of the temple. I never stepped out of church. I'm still in church. I'm still in the presence of God. I'm still, and I'm educating my kids, doing homeschooling for the glory of God, in the presence of God. It's not work, it's worship. It's not work. This is worship. It's, it's because, because God, even in his rest, saved the world. God in his rest laid down his life for the sinners. God in his rest became incarnated in his rest. Like I said, you can do more in a state of rest than you can in a state of activity. But you have to let go of your self-sufficiency in those times. Because it's so hard for us to rest, isn't it? It's so hard to create space. Because what if, what if, what if stuff stops working? What if City Chapel falls apart if I go away for a week? What if, like I think God has built rest into so many things. You, every night you close your eyes and you go unconscious for hours and somehow the house doesn't burn down. The kids don't kill themselves. North Korea still hasn't launched any missiles on anybody. The world's still, Russia and China still doing their thing. But the world still, it's still, it's like, it keeps rolling. The sun rises the next morning without you. It's almost like God set aside about eight hours every 24-hour period just to make sure you know you're not God. I was listening to some evolutionary uh, biologists talking about this. They were like, we don't know why humans sleep for so long. Can you imagine being out in the jungle? And you just, you just go unconscious for eight hours. 
leopards are wandering around, snakes are around, the alligators, all this stuff. And you're just out there unconscious. This does not help support the survival of the fittest because probably the least fit being is the one that's napping for eight hours in the dark with wolves and all kinds of stuff. They're like hunting. That's why I believe in a creator. I believe in a God who didn't leave things to chance and he put his shadow in us. And he said, just like every night you got to close your eyes and just sleep. Every day, man, you got to give some space to the Holy Spirit, some space to the person, not the shadow. Came to church, that's good. But have you hung out with the person of Jesus? Do you know the person? Have you given him space to speak to you? So Lord, we give you space right here and right now. We know we got other, another service coming. We've got a lot of stuff going on. But none of that is as important as hearing from you. All the shadow stuff that we work hard at, it's pointless if we don't meet the person, if we don't know the person. Come before you, Lord, and we ask you to reveal to us ways in which we're still holding on to some shadows. We're feeling condemned by shadows feeling judged by shadows. We thank you for the wonderful person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the face of God. (laughs) That we can move past these shadows. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that was also a shadow of what was to come, by the way, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Shadows don't have faces. It is within the person of Jesus that we see the expression of God. We see the smile of God. We see the soul, the eyes, the windows of the soul. We look into the eyes of heaven and we see so much more than an outline of who he would be. We, we see the person. And that's where transformation happens. Transformation happens from one person to another within community. And the greatest community we can enter into is the community with the Holy Spirit. So we enter into this relationship with you. We ask you, Lord, to show us yourself, to reveal your face. That as we go about our day, that we are not working, we're worshiping. We're not getting burned out, we're getting burned up for God. Even while our bodies are tired, which Paul said, our our spirits are, are, are alive, our spirits are energized because we're in the temple, we're serving our King, and we only have so much time to do this. Why would we waste our efforts on stuff that's going to it's going to burn up and melt away? No, everything we're doing we're doing for the glory of God which will never go away. So we enter into this rest. We ask for you to speak to us, Lord. Let your face shine on us. Yeah, but let it speak to us. The rhema word, the living word that's flowing from the mouth of God. Come to us today. Speak to us. 
folks watching online, Lord, reach, reach through the, the camera, reach through the laptops. We create space for you. We give you space to move, to speak. privilege of serving you. Thank you for the privilege of, of walking alongside you through this, this field of grain. <laughs> Thank you for the privilege of family. Thank you for all of your blessings that you've poured out on us. It's not because we've worked for any of it. The money we have is not because we've worked for it. Connections we have is not because we've worked for it. The family we have is not because we've worked for it. We, you have done great things. You have been miraculous. Even our own righteousness is not because we worked for it. You were faithful to complete what you started. You've been working away. Even in your rest, you are you are creating more things than you created in all your six days of working. <laughs> all of that was a projection of what was to come. So we thank you, Lord rest in you. Turn off the noise. Turn off the busyness. One of the greatest sins of our generation. The idolatry. <laughs> idolatry of busyness. We allow you to be God and speak to us. In Jesus' name.